Alright everybody, welcome to episode 16 of NCC Talk. My name is Inkernaut, and today guys, we have a very special episode where we talk about one of my favorite games of all time, the Mass Effect series. And today, I am here with three recurring guests from before. And uh, in NPC Talk, we go by gamer tags now, and so we will have to um, go through what everyone's gamer tag is again for some people. Uh, but today we have Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, Chris. Our Incarnat. Hello. Um, what is your gamer tag? Uh, I suppose the base part of my gamer tag is TMP. TMP. Okay, TMP. Let's go with it. And um, just really quick for Mass Effect, you've played all three games, right? <laughs> yes, I have played all three games. Okay, okay that was you. a terrible How question. How dare you? That was a terrible question. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Kevin, welcome back. Hello. Hello. What is your gamer tag, Kevin? Um, Otaku. Otaku. Because Otaku's taken. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And uh, we also have... Ben, also known as Blank, here today. Hello, Blank. Hello, Incarnat. <laughs> Hello. Okay, Hello. and <laughs> and so today we're talking about Mass Effect. Uh, Kevin, why don't you hit us off with uh, what is Mass Effect? Um, Mass Effect is uh, it's an action RPG mm-hmm. uh, with a very uh, involved story. That's set in space. Yes. Specifically, the Milky Way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so, what makes Mass Effect really unique is, um, well, okay, a lot of things make it unique, but the the two main things that revolves around the plot is that you have the same character that um, goes through all three games, and so the save, all the decisions and all the things you did in game number one carries over to game number two, and then all that stuff carries over to game number three, and then things you do in game number one affect game number three, and it's really cool. And the story has a lot of decisions to make, and a lot of, like, little different actions and things you can do that affect the story, and that all, like, revolves and, like, mixes together to make, like, this really cool plot where everything kind of depends on what you've done. And, yeah. I mean, that's it's really, really cool. And the action's really fun, too. But I think most people play Mass Effect for, like, it's really compelling story and probably the greatest universe of all time, in my unbiased opinion. Um, my unbiased opinion as well. <laughs> yeah. I think you guys are all biased. <laughs> no way. It's great. Uh, um, so, um, Blank, why don't you go over kind of, like, the the main plot what what is Mass Effect? What is the universe? What what happens? Oh boy! Um, <laughs> Good luck. I'll come back. <laughs> Mr. Temp might need to uh, help me out a little um, as we go along, but let's start off by saying it's set in the future. Mm-hmm. I think it's like twenty one something, right? I actually don't remember the exact oh, date. Yeah, you can you can check that up. But then um, you start off as um, a character that you know really just has the same last name, depending on, uh, regardless of what first name you might choose. So everyone is Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also choose whether you want to be male or female. 
but um, oh, you can actually also choose different backgrounds too, right? Yep, yep, yes, sir. You guys, remember that? So you, you can be like a a war hero or a, or a colonist or someone born oh, from oh. Earth. Yeah. In oh, any uh, case, yeah, I actually ahead. want to see what people pick. If you still remember. So the options oh. are spacer, you're born in space, colonist, you grew up in a colony on an alien planet, or earthborn, born on Earth. Additionally, you get a pick from one of these following three, soul survivor, war hero, or ruthless. Yeah. It's curious what people picked for the canon shepherd. Uh, uh, you guys go first, I have to re- recollect. <laughs> I think my, my first playthrough... I think I was um, Earthborn mm-hmm. and um, Soul Survivor and female uh, Femship. <laughs> yeah, Femship. Uh, Nataku. Uh, I think I was Earthborn and War Hero. Earthborn yeah. War Hero. And yeah. did you play male or? Uh, I played Femship. Femship. Yep. Incro. I was a uh, same thing. Earthborn War Hero, and I was a male Shepherd. Just to throw it out there, um, a lot of people are. It's like the mass um, agreed upon that Fem Shep had a better voice actress <laughs> than the male Shepherd, and yeah, so depends uh, who you ask. Well, he's he came a long way in Mass Effect One. Probably, like I think that's generally agreed. But uh, the voice actor, um, Mark Mir. Yeah, he's come a long way since the first one. Mm. Whereas Jennifer Hale, the voice actress for Femshep, has a very consistent, very good performance throughout she's the series. A, she's a veteran in the industry, so yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I've, I've I've heard differing opinions because some people don't like the female Shepherd's voice, hmm. saying um, they prefer this more um, sort of cold and monotone performance <laughs> by Mark Mir. Like they mm-hmm. felt that their shepherd was more, you know, soldier, more kind of, um, I don't know, less like emphatic and emotional mm-hmm. than the performance that Jennifer Hale gave with the female shepherd. So, I, so yeah, I, I just want to summarize. So I heard th- you guys all picked Earthborn, and then Blink was the only one who picked Soul Survivor. The other two, you picked War Hero. Well, what did you pick? Yeah. I picked a uh, colonist soul survivor. Okay, okay. No one liked Spacer and no one liked Ruthless. <laughs> and I also played Femshep. So, Inko, you're representing the the actual majority that played Male Shep. I just felt like Male Shepherd was more in tune with his, with his soldier self. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, my first playthrough, I played Male Shep. But then my canon Shepherd in my head is Femshep. <laughs> Anyways, back to the plot. Sorry, I just wanted to, <laughs> you know, give an idea of how from the yeah, beginning you can I mean, already deviate from. There's a lot of different choices you can make starting off the game, um, yeah. with how your shepherd is. Um, we can even go further and talk about, you know, what class you chose for your character mm-hmm. now. But you know, skipping that, you know, you make these little um, choices with regards to what, how your character is. Um, you start off as a soldier of the alliance, which is like this. Um, Earth's intergalactic military force, right? Mm-hmm. The alliance, yeah. um, and you are chosen to be um, a potential candidate for something, right? And you like hear, what is it like the higher up sort of talking about 
your character and their background and whatever you chose. Um, mm -hmm. Eventually, you go through um, this mission, which turns out to be a, um, what do you call that? Sort of a, a test, right? Mm -hmm. To see yeah. whether you're up for being uh, something known as a specter, which in the uh, intergalactic um, government's sort of organization are you know, this special um, group of, what do you call them? Like special forces like that are yeah, above it's, the it's law. Special forces. Yeah. You can think of it like the James Bond, but better. <laughs> and actually uh, above the law. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you start out the game without really knowing the rest of the world, you know. You, it only starts off with the humans, but you, you know, arrive um, on like a foreign world and everything, and you're kind of thrown into this um, place where there are a bunch of aliens, um, alien technology, you know, stuff you're not used to, and that kind of starts to set the tone and the environment for the rest of the game, right? And you... Um, uh, I think I think this is getting too long. I'm probably doing it too much in detail, right? <laughs> this is way too much reminiscing type. <laughs> um, I mean, there's just so much. I mean, how do I how do I put everything in order? I yeah, guess if if I want to put it very very broadly and very very generally, yes. you know, there are these. Uh, uh, I guess you can say quote unquote evil forces, which we will call the Reapers, <laughs> um, and they are essentially want to uh, destroy life as you know it in the Milky Way galaxy. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you as Shepard, a soldier of the Alliance and, um, you Eventually. know, soon to be Spectre yep. um, of the intergalactic civilization um, teamed up with, you know, a ragtag <laughs> group of <laughs> unlikely heroes uh, of all races um, band together to, you know, fight against the greater evil. That, you know, it's, it's not an unfamiliar plot. Um, but mm -hmm. I think what really shines is the, the love and detail with which Bioware put into um, building this universe from scratch. There's just a lot of um, detail put into how the different races, um, how they're unique and different from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of the game is, or a lot of the world is explained and experienced through reading the codec. Um, and the codex describe um, in words, and some of the main ones are narrated narrated by someone, um, but it'll tell you like the history of the Turians, the history of the the Quarians, all you know, all these different races, um, and little by little, you kind of piece together um, the little quirks and traits of each races, and you know, you meet different uh, members of your team that are of that race, and you get to interact with them. And learn, you know, the things that are um, how they are very different from humanity, and how, in some ways, they're very similar to humanity. And you know, the things that kind of bind you together as a band of uh, heroes as you go up against the Reapers, which are these um, extremely intelligent or artificial intelligence that are um, supposedly with, you know, godlike intellect. Yeah. Um, More or less it. <laughs> what, uh, so what's interesting about Mass Effect is that, um, and I assume if you're going to listen to this episode, you know the the most of the story and what Mass Effect is about, so we'll try not to digress too much into like the basics, but what's really cool about uh, Mass Effect is it's not only as Ben was, or <laughs> blank Ben, whatever, 
Uh, uh, he was describing. Oh, uh, are we doing it, or are we... it doesn't? I, you know, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> Just go, go with whatever's comfortable for you. All right, Chris. <laughs> um, so what's really neat is that as Blank was describing it, um, there were there's a lot of detail. Like when you meet your party members, you get to know them on a very personal level, their background, very like you know, very detailed personal experiences that they've had. But also, there's a lot to learn about the overall universe and the races and the planets and just things that are going on that's bigger than Shepard. And it's really cool. And um, just really quick brief on the Mass Effect universe. According to the wiki, it was set in 2183 CE. Which is equivalent to AD, actually. Oh, cool. Um, And so that is 35 years or, you know, soon after humans discovered Prothean technology on Mars, and it's like this ancient technology where um, it was like way advanced than uh, human technology. Technology, mm-hmm. and what um, what really like set technology forward were these things called the mass relays, which let you warp um, between like these mass relays, and it goes like across very long distances um, instantaneously. And through that, they're able to, you know, discover, um, discover new races, discover new planets. And um, through Prothean technology, they're able to, um, yeah, like fast, pretty much like fast forward their technology and human technology. And they don't really understand how Prothean technology worked. They just learned how to utilize it to make human technology, you know, better. And then that's how we meet, you know, the other races and learn about the galaxy in a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so going through the Mass Effect series, there's um, there's a lot of things that, you know, you go through, which is like your decision-making, um, and there's two basic paths, which is Paragon and Renegade. Paragon being like, you know, Mr. Good Boy, and then P- Renegade being Mr. Bad Boy, or Mrs., sorry, Miss, I mean. <laughs> I forget that. You don't have to be male. Um... I actually don't necessarily agree with that description of the Paragon Renegade thing. Really? Cause, yeah, because I always um, thought of it. It's not so much like a good and bad sort of thing, because Renegade doesn't mean you're bad, right? Because you're yeah. still this shepherd that's fighting to save the world. It's just it's, how you go about it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's really? more the yeah the sort of the what are the means you would take to reach the same goal. Um, so more than you know paragon is good and renegade is bad i think it's more like paragon is um without having to you know, cause unnecessary um i don't know disturbance to whatever like to people or the environment or whatever and renegade is more um it doesn't matter what you need to do whatever gets you there quicker and more efficient Oh. In some ways, you can see it as ruthless, but ruthless doesn't necessarily mean you're bad. This is why uh, this is why you're in this episode, Blank. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. You earned your keep. Uh, I, mean, I think I think Kevin Kevin uh, Nataka was about to get into that. Yeah. Sorry, I, I think I cut you off a little. Oh, bit. no worries. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's that. You know, you meet you meet squad mates. You meet uh, characters. And you also have the chance to romance people in your party. This is what you really want to talk about. <laughs> it's all about love. Um, so I wanted to, I guess, kind of ask around the group. 
um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the story, is uh, you know who who did y'all romance? Um, how did you play the game in terms of Paragon, Renegade, kind of mix of both? Um, and kind of you know what's your favorite um, you know mission story moment kind of you know event? And so yeah, uh, let's start with uh, TMP. Hmm. So, I think you should add the disclaimer of who did you romance and did you regret it? I I will say that I, so I played Femship, female Mm -hmm. shepherd. And this was after I already played male shep. So my original playthrough, I basically played Space Jesus. Full paragon, male shepherd, romance Liara, who is one of the... Alien, who is a member of the alien race known as Asaris. Um, you wait, only have. T- okay. so, wait, I'm really sorry, quick. TMP. I'm sorry, Temp. It's not the Asaris. It's the Asari. <laughs> the Asari. It's the Asari. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry guys, but it's the Just really quick to add on to TMP's um, Space Jesus point <laughs> is that um, is that Liara is like widely known as like the canon romance like not that she's quote unquote the best or you have to choose her but they say for the plot to like i guess make the most sense or to get the most out of the plot you know romancing liara is generally the best choice i am fairly conflicted about that idea i think i hear a lot of people who romanced garris later uh-huh. so garris is another squad mate that you can get and he belongs He's a member of the Turian race. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, so essentially, Mass Effect 1 presents you with three possible romance options. Uh, two if you're femship, two if you're maleship. Though Liara is romanceable by both genders. Yes. Right? So technically, Liara is available no matter what your gender is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a property of the Asari race. Um, and... Additionally, you have a female or male human uh, romance option. Um, as femship, you get this... It's debatable how much people like him. He ha- he certainly has his own uh, fan following. Uh, I, 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 I don't know, Shepard. Oh, I, I, I just don't know, Shepard. Oh. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm one of the... Uh... Not haters. <laughs> I, but, yeah. I didn't really like Caden. So, so Caden is the male human who started... He, he was a soldier that started with Shepard um, on the ship. Alternatively, uh, you can... During the story, very early on, you pick up a female human named Ashley who you can romance if you're playing the male Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up romancing Caden. And I... Remained faithful to Caden through my femship playthrough. Wait, really quick. Can't you romance Caden if you're a male or no? Uh, not until Mass Effect 3. Okay, okay. So what's interesting is, so Mass Effect presents you with these, well, let's say two romance options, right? Because you only have two regardless of your gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Mass Effect 2, kind of as like a decision to create a more standalone game that's still somewhat bridges 1 and 3, uh, you, your romance option from Mass Effect 1 is somewhat negated and you have options to romance 
other squad mates that you find in Mass Effect 2. Yes. And then Mass Effect 3 is kind of a combination of all the previous two games. So your Mass Effect 1 romance option becomes available again. and your Or your Mass Effect 2 romance option can still progress depending on who it is and stuff that happens. So I understand Liara being potentially quote-unquote the best or the canon romance. And I actually think if I ever replay the series, which is very highly probable at this rate, (laughs) based on overwhelming nostalgia, I would probably romance Liara because I think the progression of her relationship with your shepherd is very natural and fairly Mm well-written. But I also know a lot of people who find your relationship with uh, Garrus to also be very relatable and natural, or your relationship with uh, Tally, who is another alien squad mate that you get, um, to also be very natural. I mean, you can even romance any of the other characters in Mass Effect 2 and still have a very, very well-rounded, well-wrapped-up romance narrative. So, I mean, I like Liara as a character, and I like how she changes like as a person. Mm-hmm. that I would definitely romance her. But at the same time, I think Bioware did a really good job writing all the romance options that it's really up to the player if you want to romance anyone. And if you do, all of them are good options. Um, well said. Well said. There was at least, um, you know, not official in any capacity, but one survey sort of thing that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, Liara was the most um, popular choice. Yeah. Um, but then next was like uh, Miranda and Tally. And then, you know, lower than that is like Ashley. And then you get like Garrus. Um, so to, I mean, there's, a, there's a wide range of characters that people sort of um, romanced and right. stuff. I, I actually, think... um, I didn't, I actually did not romance at all. Mm. That's right. Ooh. Went the no romance. Yeah. Sorry, you, you were saying. No, I was just saying that. So I, I found that the mo- the more vocal, uh, fans of Mass Effect, tend to actually have played Femshep as their canon shepherd. But if you look at just like broad statistics of all players, male shepherd is the more widely played gender. Mm. Um, and Liara being so high up there can. You can probably explain it as being she's available to both genders, so naturally she has more. She's an option for everyone, whereas you know from you starting ship this game, yeah. So it makes sense why she might be considered canon, just because she's always available right from the start. And um, I think you can get kind of psychological in this too. Like the Liara would be a pretty appealing choice because. Um, you know, she's not human, so it kind of feels, you know, exciting and exotic. Yeah. But at the same time, the physique of the Asari are very familiar in that they look very, you know, much like a female human. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's a bit of familiarity as well as this sort of exotic alien thing. So I think when people are playing the game, you know, it kind of feels like a more exciting option um, mm-hmm. to not romance a human squad thing. Yeah. So... Back to the original question. I romanced Caden. I think it was fine for what it is. I would not romance him again. 
<laughs> um, I'd actually be curious to try romancing, say, Garrus. But Garrus fits another niche in my life. <laughs> I don't see him as a romance option. Um, in any case, as for your second question, did I play Paragon or Renegade? I played a mix. I basically played Shepard who will do what she thinks is for the greater good and necessary. And she'll always back her squad mates or those that she trusts and knows. But to everyone else, like, so if you go full Paragon, you can, like, I wasn't kidding about Space Jesus. It's very much like, oh, let's do what's best for all parties involved, including some of the seedier, less legal parties. Um, Whereas Renegade might be more like, I'm going to take what I need. You're a bunch of criminals. You don't deserve anything anyway. So I played like a mix. Um, I think in the end, I leaned Paragon. So you, you sent, the game has like two meters, so you can see how much Paragon points or how Paragon you've been and how Renegade you've been. Mm-hmm. I think I ended up with, at the end of Mass Effect 3, I was almost maxed out Paragon, but also really high on my Renegade. So mm. through the whole game, I basically flip flop back and forth. Nice, nice. And, uh... Do you have like a favorite, you know, Mass Effect moment mission? Uh, I like thinking back. I really like Mass Effect One. In fact, I liked it enough to play it three times. No, oh. uh, but I really, really like Mass Effect Two because I like the Dirty Dozen kind of aspect where you're going on a suicide mission, trying to find the people who are willing to sacrifice everything for you, and then it also does Mass Effect Two because it's kind of set as like a standalone piece. It really focuses more on character development than the overarching plot of Mass Effect series, right? It's, the Reapers are still there. They're still a threat, but you're kind of dealing with a somewhat isolated incidents of the Reapers. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I really like the character development. The, the game setup of Mass Effect 2 really drives in you're collecting these people to join you on a suicide mission and you're helping them deal with any regrets or any lingering doubts they have. So it really focuses on their development as people and characters, which I is the main reason I play. I like Mass Effect so much is the character ve- development is great. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I like Mass Effect 2 <coughs> the most and I like a lot of the loyalty missions, which is essentially you've you've already collected this teammate and to help rid them of any lingering doubts that might uh, jeopardize your mission, you help them deal with their deepest and darkest secrets or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like a lot of those. Um, Mass Effect 3 was a great culmination of the whole series and had so many callbacks to the earlier games that I don't feel like there was any point where I was like, oh, snap, so-and-so's back or, oh, snap, this this person I met in Mass Effect 1 is doing some crazy stuff or whatever. Um, favorite moment? Probably some of the loyalty missions or just the recruiting missions from Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. The Archangel mission where you get Garrus back in Mass Effect 2 was super awesome. Tally's loyalty mission, great. Shadow Broker as a DLC. One of the prob- I think is the best DLC, but to be fair, I haven't played all of them. Mm. Um, 
So I don't have like a single moment I can point to and say that trumps everything. But there are certainly a lot of moments from Mass Effect 2 that I would put just a smidge higher than the rest of the game. Okay, okay. I can roll with that. Mm-hmm. Like that, I like that. Uh, Nitaku, same three questions. How'd you play Mass Effect? <laughs> um, yeah, so I played Femship, and I played very Paragon. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I did, like, every Paragon action, except for punching the reporter. No, always punch. That was actually a trick action sequence. Punching her is the Paragon. <laughs> Why is this highlighted blue? Hmm. <laughs> oh, also, it is it is right for the galaxy. <laughs> uh, there was that one scene in the beginning where it was like um, when you're in that colony, right? And one guy is like sort of crazy, mm-hmm. and I think one of the options was like calm him down, and then you end up punching him. <laughs> so I did that, too. but that was a really misleading choice. <laughs> no, you wanted to punch him. It was it was a thing to do. Yep. Um, yeah, so played Paragon, and for romances, I basically romance everyone. <laughs> oh! You can't. Or, okay, I, I like, you know how you can, like, go up to a point until you have to, like, commit, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I sort of, you know, went as far as I could for pretty much everyone. I oh, you, you dirty, dirty woman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, friend zoned everyone. <laughs> yeah, you have you got this uh kept them in that zone. Yeah, you got two extremes here. You got romance everyone and romance no one. <laughs> hey boys, just kidding, I'm gonna go with him. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um but my final romance or the one I committed with uh Garris. Oh nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yep. And um did you have a Favorite moment, or and also I want to know what's your favorite game of the three. Favorite game. Favorite, uh, yeah. Which of the three Mass Effects did you like the most? Oh, uh, Mass Effect Two. Okay, okay. And you only say that. You only say that because you wanted to romance Garrus. When he first becomes available. Oh right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think in oh Mass Effect One, I think I only. Oh, I actually didn't romance Lilithers. I only romanced the era. Because mm-hmm. I did not, like, hide in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about him. <laughs> I mean, the, the ending wrapped up okay. Like, it wrapped up pretty well with him, but man. Just... Oh, he was just not in my playthrough, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and did you have, like, a favorite moment or a favorite mission or anything? Um, I really liked, uh, Morden's death. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like that he died. But I it was <laughs> oh, how well, dare you? <laughs> yeah, uh, that that was an, yeah. an amazing mission. It's either, uh, Morden's death or, or, uh, Legion's death. Oh, what you, happened in Legion's? You, you, you lost Legion. Oh, no, Legion always dies. You, yeah, you have to. He uploads the... The Reaper code to oh. give the Geth. So the Geth is the race of essentially artificial intelligence, or yeah. Mm-hmm. And but in order to elevate themselves even further, they end up taking Reaper technology. Yep. 
and one of your squad mates from that is introduced during Mass Effect 2 and is present in Mass Effect 3, he essentially sacrifices himself to give his people to bring his people up, to give them the knowledge to evolve as artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Morden is another character who also likewise sacrifices himself to help an entire race of people. Oh, so, so good. So good. Um, I cry every time. I cry every time. <laughs> um, Blank, how do you play Mass Effect? Oh, man. <laughs> so, I mean, I I talked about this in my top three episode, too, but, you know, Mass Effect is one of my favorite games. So I, I've played it three times, three playthroughs also. Uh, second is my sort of canon playthrough. And in that one, actually, in all three, uh, I was mostly Paragon, but not exclusively Paragon. I more or less went with what I felt was right in the moment, so um, I wasn't exclusively Paragon, but mostly Paragon. And uh, in terms of romance, I am actually maybe in the minority here when I say I was not a fan of the whole romance option in mm-hmm. throughout the game. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that Shepard um, is sort of the married-to-the-job kind of mentality. Um, I felt that that was what was right for my Shepard, who's Know, sole goal and sole focus is to um, save the galaxy. Essentially, that's why it was it was really cool. Where at the end, um, you know, you sit down with Captain Anderson, right? Who's kind of like your mentor, friend, almost a father figure like person. Um, and I, I, this one, this scene might have been cut out or something, but they like released the footage or whatever. Where uh, Captain Anderson is talking about like, oh, like you ever think about settling down? You know, I think you'd make a great mother and stuff because I played <laughs> Shep. Um, so it worked out for me because I, I like the idea of, you know, the shepherds, my shepherd doesn't, you know, that that wasn't the concern, you know. So so she replies like, I don't know if I'd make a, you know, I'd know, I don't know if I'd be a mother type and things like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't that much of a fan of the romance options. So oh, that's nice. I think if I were to try playing ma- male shepherd, um, I might want to try messing Tally actually, because I recall seeing like all the different um, Normandy rescue pickup scene um, in the third game, um, where if you have your um, significant other in your party, then you know they have this little moment where they say their goodbyes. And I I thought that of all of them, the one with Tally was the most heart wrenching. It was. I yeah. that. I remember like, wow. Yeah, and I know there, there's a big, there's a large amount of people. I think that, um, you know, they call themselves the Tally Mansers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. In any case, um, yeah. So I didn't romance anyone. And in terms of my favorite narrative moments, oh gosh, there were just so many. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I I agree with Temp in that uh, Mass Effect Two, I think, on its own as a standalone game, is definitely one of the greatest games ever um but i would disagree in the analysis of the second one being the best in this series yeah it, like with the in the perspective of the mass effect series as a whole mm-hmm. because story-wise i think it's it's sort of irrelevant yep. it's very much stands alone and for the 
character development of your squad mates and stuff alone, I, that's just, you know, great. It's perfect. Um, but the sort of impending threat of uh, the Reapers, I think, gets kind of lost in all the missions you go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did definitely have some great moments. Um just to name some of my favorites. I have so many. As um, you pull out the scroll of list. <laughs> Let me get out my little list. Um, <laughs> no, when you, you know, you, so after the first game, you um, kind of lose contact with some of your old squad mates. But then in the second game, you um, track down this one person called the Archangel. And you later oh, find that was your old buddy, Garrus. Um, oh, yeah. that, that was one of a uh, that was a really cool moment. Um, I really, really, really liked Tally's loyalty mission. I yeah. thought that was the best loyalty mission. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, just everything about that was so great um, and exciting. What um, happens in it? I, I forget. That was the one where um, Tally is accused of treason by the Koreans, mm-hmm. by the Korean uh, to go back council. To their ship. Yeah, yeah, so it turns out like she had been sending parts of the geth to her father who was doing research she didn't know what it was for but her father was you know possibly doing some questionable research that may have endangered uh the fleet the quarian fleet right um and so tally has to stand trial right before the trial you have to go and try to save the ship that her father was on Mm -hmm. you find out that you know spoilers her father has passed away and yeah, there's this really great moment because uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I know Temp knows this, but Mass Effect, Mass Effect Two, the Normandy, it's known as the SSV Daddy yes. issues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every single character has daddy issues. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Tally has this daddy issue, you know. But um, your Shepard, I think, regardless of whether you're male or female, um, ends up kind of being like this. Um, not not father mother but sort of this like older mentor your her captain person yeah. um i thought that moment was just really great where i was i was paragon so i defended tally before the uh, before the in the trial and she later goes and you know says like thank you captain and stuff and there's this whole thing with the Koreans and their name where um they attach what ship they serve on as part of their name then mm-hmm. you know there's this whole thing with how um stripping her of her title with the with the ship she actually serves in the Korean fleet where they stop calling her that and call her um Tally Vast Normandy saying you know she's not part of the Korean fleet anymore but then you know she later um first to herself as that it would pride um yeah i don't know that was really great <laughs> and then um, you can just lay into the Korean court. Yeah, it's very satisfying. Mm. Right. Um, sorry, I'm rambling a little now, but oh, no. The Sh- Shadow Broker was definitely a great um, DLC. And, um, now getting on to the third game, which you know was my number one game, my mm. top three. Um, let's see, man, Palavin whole mission was great. Um, but I think uh, some very specific ones that stand out are, as Nataka mentioned, the um, the story arc with Morden mm-hmm. uh, on Tuchanka, where he sort of, um, you know, Morden has this guilt that he carries out 
uh, carries throughout the uh, the two games, Mass Effect two and three, and this is kind of the culmination of that. And him, kind of, um, you know, Morden has that line of, um, "It had to be me. Someone else might have made a mistake. Someone right? else would have gotten it wrong. Might yeah, have. someone else might have gotten it wrong." There, yeah. um, so he wants to sort of undo what he ha- what he feels was an unjust action that he took part in. Um, that whole sequence of him kind of sacrificing himself to um, release the cure for the Krogans and save another species at the cost of his own life. Mm-hmm. That was very great. Mm. Yeah. I also really liked the Rannoch mission. Again, it's another tally mission. I thought the Quarians were very great in general. <laughs> yeah, they're really interesting. I mean, Matt Bioware did a great job with each of the alien races, I think. Yeah, and I think um, um, the the Rannoch missions, or not, sorry, the Quarian missions, um, they were kind of very important to the overall mm-hmm. story because of how closely associated they are with the Geth. Mm-hmm. And the, the three games revolves around the, uh, the theme of, you know, man, uh, sorry, organics versus machines. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I felt that of all the loyalty missions and the side missions or the side arcs or whatever, at the ones involving the Quarians and the Geth, the Quarian Geth conflict, they felt very uh, relevant and helped to progress in terms of the narrative um, while developing um, the relationship you have with Tally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. And um, one last one is I remember the um, the Turian Primarch's son, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was this one mission where the the Turians had secretly planted a bomb on Tuchanka, the Krogan planet. Um, and the special forces Turian squad is sent in to disarm the bomb before they take notice. Um, and there's this whole scene where he kind of, or the mission, he screwed up and he got a lot of his platoon killed. Mm-hmm. But in the end, he has this moment where he sacrifices his own life to disarm or have the bomb um, disarmed. Um, at the cost of his own life and his last line um, always struck me as very um, meaningful where he you know he's like bashing at this locking mechanism to uh, disarm the bomb and he says victory victory at any cost mm-hmm. and that i think that was very uh, it struck a very strong chord with mm-hmm. um the the threat of the reapers and that that was one of the moments i thought where the threat felt very real and you know the sacrifices that are being made by all races and by all people fighting for the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, that I thought I thought that was a very very cool moment. So yeah, th- those those are some of my <laughs> yeah. missions in terms of missions. Yeah, there are definitely a lot more in terms of you know smaller, you know, little moments you have with your squad mates. Um, you know, like the whole Citadel DLC is just one big great, you know moment <laughs> with the big party yeah but yeah that, i'll stop there <laughs> I, I will add one memory really quick mm-hmm. i think the only time i actually got like oh one of the times i can remember and remember the clearest i actually had uh, shivers running down my spine is in mass Effect 2 the way they kind of handle the reboot is that shepherd dies in like the first sequence of the game and essentially is resurrected by a group of radical 
Well, they're they're pro humanists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Cerberus. Cerberus under the name of Cerberus. Um, he's essentially revived by Cerberus because they found out about this threat that's starting to target human colonies, and that leads you back to the Reaper story, kind of tangentially back to the Reapers. But you essentially lose your ship, right? Your lot, your squadmates are scattered through the universe because it takes time to re- reconstruct Shepard. And you're basically forced into a contract or working agreement with Cerberus. But the moment I actually got shivers down my spine after this great intro is when Normandy SR2 comes into view again, the hangar. And the music is just... The Mass Effect series music has been very spot on, I think. And I that was when it really hit me, like how great the music was, watching the Normandy come back into view and realizing you're basically back in business. Uh, yeah, that was a really good scene. Yeah. Um, awesome. I guess, uh, okay. I guess it's my turn, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Lay into it. Um, okay. So, Paragon versus Renegade. I was Mr. Paragon. Um, I, I like being the, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just like um helping everyone even if <laughs> even if they didn't deserve it um and for my romance option i was i was mr uh promiscuous shepherd that everyone hated i did the the much the atrocious decision of the ashley miranda ashley sect of Oh, interesting. I totally forgot that was an actual thing. It was terrible. And so... Oh, old Ashley Miranda Ashley. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Let, let me... Okay, okay. So here's what happened, okay? For, yeah. In game one, uh, you have Ashley and Liara, and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just go with Ashley because I, I wanted, like, you know, human romance because, you know, I'm... I'm pro-human. I'm just kidding. I just, you know, I racist. Just... <laughs> Ashley was like a total space racist, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, her character. Well, she started as like a space racist. Yeah. I know yeah. that by the end of Mass Effect One, she's like, Our okay, school. aliens aren't so bad, and then like she, she continues dead to. By my... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. Always yeah, a space racist. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so at the end of one, right? I, th- I think she dies, and so I'm like, well, <laughs> that's great. And so I play Mass Effect 2, and I'm like, well, you know, I-, I died too, and then I came back to life. And I'm like, well, who am I supposed to, you know, spend the rest of my life with? And then came... The rest Sir- of your life with. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of my space life with. <laughs> and then comes my... Uh, your boo. My Cerberus honey. <laughs> uh, the love of my life. Miranda Lawson, or Miranda Lawson, uh, and um, and I fell in love with her, and Bye. and we had a great Mass Effect two romance until Mass Effect three came along, and Miranda I can't remember the details, but she disappears, and Ashley comes back, and Ashley's like three times hotter than she was in Mass Effect one, <laughs> and. I was like, I was like, well, Ashley, you're hotter, but I still want to be with Miranda. And so I play through like 60% of the game to get Miranda back. And then all that happens in your romance with Miranda is like a, a dirty one night stand with her. And then it ends because Miranda's like, 
I, I can't do this. I, I have to do my own thing. And then she like runs off. And I'm like, well. Is that actually what happens? Um, Something like that. Like you, you don't actually get like a full romance with Miranda and at the end of three. It's just like a like a one night stand thing. And then Miranda's kind of like, you know, I can't commit to you. I have to do something. I, I don't remember what it is. And I she didn't just, realize that's how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. Huh. And I was like, I, I'm like, my shepherd can't can't save space with a broken heart and so i replayed three with ashley and i was like okay ashley was really mad at me for like a quarter of the game but but we we powered through it because shepherd needed love and and ashley gave it to him um (laughs) and so that was my romance uh with shepherd (laughs) um Mass Effect 3 is my favorite, and my favorite mission in the entire series is saving Tuchanka from the genophage, and yeah. and I just love when Krogan's go, for Tuchanka! <laughs> my favorite thing. Um, it was just really cool, because throughout the whole series, you're like, oh, Krogan's are like these like brute force, like, dummy, like, um, bullies, and like, you know... They, you know, like, oh, in some, in some cases, they, they deserve the genophage because they're so, like, you know, like, uh, ruthless and, uh, and dangerous if they, like, you know, um, multiply and stuff. But then, like, as you get to know them better, and as you go through the third game, you're like, wow, you know, like, these guys are actually, like, you know, really cool. I don't want to say really cool people because they're not people, but, you know, they're really cool species. And you're like... You're like, I just want to save them. And then when you're able to... I, I don't know the details of saving them. I just remember, like, that it was, like, really epic. And I was like, oh, my goodness. All my efforts from all three games, like, came together. And I saved Tichanka. And it was really, really cool. <laughs> um, Do you guys remember the, the details of saving Tichanka? I, I really don't. It's been too long. Did you... Did you want us to describe the entire moment? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh wow. I I mean I think there's a lot of um, backstory involved in um, trying to do justice to that whole story, right? <laughs> well, I mean, we. I assume that um, people who are listening to this have played it. By the played point. it. Yeah. Yeah. So we just. So. Yeah. Right. Well, so there's the genophage where the. The uh, the race known as the Krogans were once used as sort of weapons against the uh, an invading species known as the Rachni. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, they were very fast breeders. So to try to keep them in check, they were, you know, trying to restrict the Turian. I'm oh, sorry, the Krogans. And then there was this whole war with them. And then the way they ended it is kind of you can think of it as like uh, an equivalent to the dropping of the uh, atomic bombs. Where they released the thing called the genophage, which made the Krogan sterile, right? Um, and that brought their population in decline, and that brought an end to the war. Um, the ones who came up with the uh, the genophage were mainly the Salarians, um, and one of the members you recruit in Mass Effect Two is Doctor Morden Solis, who was one of the Salarian Special Forces members working on the genophage. Um, and then you go through the entirety of Mass Effect 2, where he's, you know, sort of at odds with himself, but he still tries to justify it, saying, you know, 
it's not that he wanted to do harm or anything, but it was the best sort of outcome that he could see because it saved a lot of people by ending the war. Mm. Um, so that sort of, um, but you can, you know, there's a, you know, a bit of guilt, I think, that you can sense in Morden, um, and especially at the loyalty mission where you go and find his former protege, um, Malon, right, Malin, and you see that Malin has been um, pers- uh, pursuing this research to try to cure the genophage, um, um, right? And then you go and find some horrific conditions with which he was experimenting on the female Krogan trying to cure it. Um, mm-hmm. You have this whole um, ethical dilemma of whether you should save the research that he has or whether you should destroy it as, you know, barbaric. Um, it's kind of ironic because it only if you save the research, I believe, um, when you try to cure the genophage, the female Krogan, would, which you use as like this primary specimen-like thing to bring the cure to its final stage, um, only if you saved Malin's research, she can survive, or something like that, right? Um, so you know, there, there's like that whole moral dilemma about you know, is ill-gotten research worth, you know, using, or you know, do you just throw it away? Mm. Um, no right and wrong answer, I think. But so there's that whole deal, and then in the third game, um, there comes a time to try to um, uh, reason with the Krogan. Um, try to enlist their help in the war effort, and one of the deals is to cure the genophage. Um, and Morden comes along with you, and this is assuming that you play a Paragon Shepherd, where um, Morden eventually you know, finishes the cure. They've um, secured this female Krogan that was being housed somewhere, and you head over to the Krogan homeworld of Tuchanka. Um, you go to this. Um, dispersion mechanism i forget what they called it the veil or something like that um and the place is like falling apart though or something like that right because the reapers are attacking and all i forget exactly why the place was falling apart do you guys remember was it the reaper i don't well there was at least one reaper there and um the what do you call it kauros the um this uh what would the sandworm thing calls um Yeah, Thresher Maw. Yeah, the Thresher Maws, right? The mother of all Thresher Maws takes down yeah. one of the Reapers. Um, yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. I forget exactly why that, that whole facility and whatever was being, um, like, torn apart. I don't remember why. But in any case... the Shroud Tower. Yeah, th- there you go, the Shroud. The, the Veil <laughs> is for the Quarian. Yeah, sorry, you're right. That That's the Perseus Veil, right? Um, and if you play the Paragon Shep, um, you know, Morden's like, I need to go up to like disperse the cure and stuff. But it's mm-hmm. like, oh, Morden, but the place is all blowing up. He's like, I have to do this. You know, he, you get the sense that he wants to sort of do right. Um, and yeah. in his last moments, he wants to do what he feels is, um, I don't know, good, I guess, is my sort of to atone in his sense for what he feels may have been unjust. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah <laughs> and he goes up and there's this whole deal where he's kind of humming to himself while the whole place is like yeah. exploding yeah. and then he, he kind song. of looks up yeah he like hums his song and he like looks up at the camera as he's singing and the place you all you see is just an explosion yeah. um, but you see the cure being dis, uh, dispersed 
um, from the shroud facility thing, and you know you bring a hope to the Krogans. That's it's very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and did you guys? Uh, yeah. Oh, did you guys get the seashell line? He's going up the elevator. Are you guys uh, know what I'm talking about? Or yeah. Yeah, you got that? It, yeah I, I remember I don't that. Remember the actual line. Um, um, so it's like um, oh, that's what you want. Yeah. So if you talk to him like previously, um, I forgot when, but like just in like random conversation, he'll like mention that like he might want to go to the beach someday when he retires. And he like talks yeah. about, oh, I might want to study sea shells, right? Yeah. Um, and then at the um, at the tower place when he's going up the elevator right before he leaves, he's like, "Would have liked to study sea shells." Yeah, That's, yeah. I thought that was really uh, yeah. It was like a so subtle, but like so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you guys seen what the uh, the renegade options are like? No. More than also really good. Yeah, I mean it, it's also really really good, but you know yeah. Morden insists on going. But if you were renegade, you could have made oh, a deal with the Salarian Dalachas, um to sabotage the cure, because. You know, some higher ups in the Salarian Union believe that the Krogans you know, should not be cured. Right. So, when Morden insists on going up to spread the cure, um, you can choose to shoot Morden in the back. Yeah. But then he still makes it into the elevator. But then this time, when he gets up to the facility, he's like crawling as he's bleeding and trying to reach for the console as the place is blowing up. And he like reaches and stretches out to do it, but then it's like too late. Oh, I'm going to cry now. There's also like a halfway it's, ending where um, he'll like get angry at you if you try and like convince him not to do it. Oh, That one was really good too. <laughs> oh, really? I know yeah, you can... Cannot... Like, he like yells, I made a mistake! Then... Oh, right. Hmm. I remember that too. Yeah, that oh, that's so cool. Also. <laughs> yeah. We um, all love Morden. Uh, yeah. Morden. I, for, I forgot. I forgot how awesome that was. Oh, so good. Let's he was a model Solarian, <laughs> a scientist Solarian, scientist Solarian. <laughs> yeah, he was not yeah. a. He was not he a male. He was the model. very model of a scientist Solarian. <laughs> he has that whole song, right? He, yeah, he yeah. was. Um, what is it? He took part in a play of. Um, oh yeah. He like mm-hmm. sings for you in in Mass Effect Two, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. just like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and th- that's actually the that's the same song he's humming as he's uh, spreading the cure. So mm-hmm. it's uh, everything just kind of ties up very nicely together. Yeah. Uh, let's all just bask in that moment together. Oh, <laughs> 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 A single tear rolls down each of our cheeks. Um. Okay. Really quick, before so the viewers don't yell at me for uh, for Miranda's romance is <laughs> apparently you can commit to a serious relationship with her, but it's long distance because she's um, she uh, is like being threatened or is in danger, and so she never joins the Normandy or anything. So, kind of what I was thinking, but you know, more reasonable than what I remember it as. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Chris, Ooh, Chris, Chris please. My shepherd, what a what a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's talk about 
I guess some of the overarching themes of Mass Effect. Um, oh boy. Oh man. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Um, I don't know what. Oh, is is there anything specifically you guys want to talk about? Otherwise, I'm just gonna like just go down. I don't know topics about intergalactic racism and stuff. <laughs> uh, talk about whatever you want to talk about, Chris. I just want to talk more about characters. <laughs> um. Okay. Let, let's talk about. Um... I've I've got something if you want. If you yeah, want yeah, yeah. Um. I think what was really cool is what was it? Mass Effect One came out uh, in two thousand seven mm-hmm. or something like that. Yep. Um. And there is this big overarching theme of um, organic life versus um, artificial life or machine synthetic life. Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty central to the whole um, overarching main plot because the Reapers are um, an artificial sentience. Right? And then uh, uh, we, can, we can go into that uh, more into that when we talk about the ending. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of little little things with regards to AI. And I think right now in the current age, AI, like true AI is a pretty hot topic, right? Um, so Mass Effect 1 sort of started, I think. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it's not new, right? They weren't the first ones to do it. But then in my mind, in terms of video games, they were one of um, were one big prominent games that yeah, yeah. To address this issue of, you know, what would happen if, such a thing as general strong AI were to be possible. Um, there's this one moment in the first game where on on the moon there is a rogue um, what people think is a VI, a virtual intelligence. So it wasn't supposed to be an artificial intelligence but there's supposed to be this rogue VI on this one base and you have to go and disable it and upon disabling it the machine like sends out a string of um, hex code. I, I forget it was either hex or binary, and you can actually you know convert it to. Um, I think it was ASCII, and then. No you, way, really. <laughs> yeah, you know you can look it up, and it says like help, 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 help. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, and it turns out that the, you know, it it was an AI at that base, and um, it turns out later in the third game. You realize that that AI yes. ends up being Edie, one um, one of your squad members. Oh uh, yeah. So uh-huh. the, the AI you met and on the moon in the first game ends up being one of your squad members in the in the s- third game. Oh yeah, yeah, that's really neat. Wait, I did not connect that. <laughs> yeah, you missed it. Uh, now you know. Mind equals blown. Wait, yeah. I thought Edie was just your ship AI. Yeah, she was. It remember, was. Remember, she, oh. the moon base was a Cerberus base, oh. and then Edie is a Cerberus designed AI. Oh. Was it a Cerberus oh. base? I I don't I remember. Think so. I, I think, think so. eventually oh, one either it was or it, it gets um, you know handed over or taken over by Cerberus and they kind of repurpose AI because they're you know sort of interested in anything that might give humans an edge. Um, and the elusive man and Cerberus, they sort of repurpose that and come up with, you know, this thing they call Edie. Mm. Neato. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Um, oh, you're right. It's not. It wasn't a Cerberus base, but later on you learn that Cerberus salvaged the V the Coco Vi. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. So there there were a lot of little things like that that I thought were really really cool. Um, there was another moment in the first game where there's another um, AI that you encounter, but he's restricted to this one machine. But what what the machine sort of tells you is he's been slowly building parts for a spaceship, and he's has a spaceship ready, and he was going to eventually have himself um, his hardware installed on the ship so that he can get off of the citadel. Um, and he kind of sounds nefarious and stuff, and he doesn't like that he's seen as inferior to organic life or something like that. And he like threatens you and starts to starts a counter for a bomb or something like that, mm-hmm. saying like, "Oh, like you'll never take me alive now that you've found that I exist." Like I'll take you with me, you filthy organic life or whatever, and like, disable mm-hmm. the bomb, and he ends up, you know, dying or whatever. <laughs> but um, I think little things like that, it was like very great for shadowing and stuff, because initially you don't even know what the reapers are. Um, mm-hmm. And later, it's only later you find out that there is this, there's this big AI synthetic life form, um, and I think it just rings very, um, it's very relevant to current times. I think where there's a lot of active uh, research in AI happening, you know, and not just long ago, you know, there was that whole open letter call, whatever, where, you know, some pretty big name people were calling for a ban on AI weapons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so no Terminators, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, the whole- to, look to Mass Effect for some, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. some musings on, you know, the things that may happen. You know, it then. Um, I don't know. We we can go more into that in the ending. I think that's when it, uh, some of this gets a bit more relevant. But essentially, you know, there's the good and the bad, right? You can't just rule out something as black and white. It's not oh AI bad, and it's not just oh all AI is good. You know, you have to be pretty responsible about it. And I think the uh, the game pretty did a pretty good job of ad- addressing this issue and exploring this idea. Yeah, yeah. it's um yeah, it's just really cool how it relates to like modern day of like you know, man versus machine and, like, you know, we create the machines but then it's possible the machines get so smart that, like, we rely on them and then, you know, they take over the world or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the whole, like, Geth uh, arc, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, that that blank was a perfect segue into the next topic of <laughs> the ending for Mass Effect for the Mass huh. Effect series. Uh, Let's do emotions. it. Am I the only one excited? <laughs> oh, okay, okay, emotions. I get it. I get it. I thought you were all dreading talking no. about that. <laughs> no, I, I no. love. I love talking about the ending oh, so much. Okay, I'm gonna ignore the ending. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's start. Uh, what happens at the end? And so I'll I'll start this off. But um, apparently, as we have learned through the NPC talk series, is that my memory sucks and I misinterpret things a lot. So True. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so if you guys have anything to add or, you know, um, change or whatever, just, uh, you know, stop me right there. But, um, so what happens at the end of Mass Effect 3 is you are fighting the Reapers because, you know, they're attacking the universe and you're like, oh, the Reapers are terrible. And so you're fighting them, you're fighting them. And then at the end you reach, like, the Reaper mothership, I guess. And, um, 
And to summarize it, basically, is, like, things go cuckoo. And you're like, whoa, what's going on, right? Because, like, Shepard's, like, like really injured and, like, his mind is kind of, like, in a daze. And you're, you sort of, like, really kind of don't understand what's going on. Like, that's how it's everything's being portrayed. And kind of all these, like, crazy, like, physical and, like, mental sequences kind of, like, are happening at the same time. And you get beamed up into the Reaper ship, right? And um, essentially the Reapers give you this ultimatum. And oh my gosh, okay, this is the part where, if, hopefully I remember this correctly, but the Reapers basically give Shepard an ultimatum, and they're like, you know, Shepard, you, um, you're like this like superhuman, and you've done like, like this crazy good job of trying to stop us, but us as the Reapers, we're just trying to continue the cycle of life in the universe because what ha- what the cycle is is that um, people discover protein technology and then they use it and then I, I don't know what happens like eventually they get too like powerful or they, or they don't understand the technology well enough and then it's the reaper's job to to wipe them out and then so then the next um, so then the next I guess like set of intelligent species can then discover the protein technology and start over again and it's to keep the universe alive so it's to think bigger than just these races but the the life of the whole universe and so the reapers give shepherd three you know ultimatum choices which is uh destroy everyone um synthesize with the reapers and what was the third one Synthesize, control, or destroy. Right. Or, or reject. Or reject. <laughs> what is it? What? Or quit the game. <laughs> so, so, no, no. so kind of basically the, the entirety of Mass Effect 3 is there is some super powerful weapon that you can construct that supposedly can help you destroy the Reaper. So the whole, through the whole game, you're, the entire trilogy, you basically been fighting to destroy the Reapers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you, through some series of events you end up on the weapon itself and then it turns out it's not a weapon per se it's not just like a hit a button and somehow all the reapers are destroyed kind of situation wow um and (laughs) this is where i let uh ben take the wheel because he knows the lore and the background of the reapers and i want to first ask the question of how many of us has played the leviathan dlc I watched it, so I actually know the lore. Okay, behind. so you at least know the lore. Have, <clears throat> have, you, have you played it, Nataku? Nope. Ink or not? Uh, well, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, I, th- I think they did a really poor job, they being yeah, definitely. EA wow. Bioware with um, fragmenting the game with mm-hmm. these DLCs, because I, I really think it was pretty important. Um, and it uh, definitely gives a lot of background and mm-hmm. helps to clear up some confusion as to what's going on in the ending i think so leviathan was a, a dlc that came out after the game was released mm-hmm. um what happens in the leviathan dlc is that you, you know, eventually track down um some ancient species who seems to have some connection with the reapers and it turns out that these um ancient aquatic life forms which they refer to themselves as the Leviathans. Or actually, no, we give them the, the name as Leviathans, I believe. 
in any case, um, they actually created a thing called the intelligence um, because at during their um, period, they were sort of the apex species in the galaxy and they controlled um, what they deemed as lesser life forms as part of their thrall. Hmm. Um, but the pattern that they noticed was that um, organic life will eventually um, create synthetic life to aid in their you know, efforts. But eventually, synthetic life will become advanced enough where they will become um, forced to sort of duke it out with organic, organic life. Um, one will eventually, or eventually synthetic life ends up winning over the organics. And that's sort of what the uh, Leviathans were seeing. And they didn't like that because their servant races were being wiped out by their, by their servants' creations. So they constructed this AI they refer to as the intelligence to um, come up with a solution to this problem. And the solution to the problem that the intelligence decided um, or came to was that um, organic life must be harvested so that they don't <laughs> get to this point where right. they create synthetic life forms and have the synthetic life forms wipe out organic life. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, you can see the kind of um, ironic logic behind it, right? Because the intelligence and the reapers are themselves um, machine. They're synthetic life forms, right? So they are sort of doing what they were created to stop. Right. Um, and there's this whole deal with how the um, intelligence deemed the leviathans themselves as being part of the problem. So they harvested the leviathans and came up with the first reefer, which is known as Harbinger. Mm -hmm. um, so they go through this, you know, these cycles where once organic life reaches a certain level in their technolo technological advancement, they harvest them. You know, reapers harvest, get it? Um, <laughs> they create new reapers by sort of melting them down into this gooey thing um, oh, yeah. and leave some of the lesser organic life forms to, you know, to continue and you know when it comes to their time they become harvested as well mm. so that's that's sort of the backstory with where the reapers come from so the being or what people refer to as the star child that you encounter when you go up um, when you're back on the citadel and um, the the big weapon which is known as the crucible you know mm -hmm. docks with the citadel and you take this sort of elevated platform up to it you see this you know ghostly kind of child figure um that star child is the intelligence um or it's a representation of the intelligence that's yeah that's that's kind of the backstory for that mm. Yeah. Mm. sorry i kind of lost track of what the original question was so so uh tmp you were going uh you're talking about how the weapon wasn't really a weapon for uh well, I was just clarifying the ending, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you spend this time trying to get this unknown super weapon that supposedly can blow up the Reapers. Right. And then when you go into the weapon and you're faced by this Star Child apparition, which mm -hmm. then, as Ben explained, is really a creation of an ancient race that designed the Star Child and the Reapers as a way to prevent synthetic life forms from basically destroying all organic life form right mm. then the the star child essentially says that you have you're at a crossroads you shepherd have the ability to choose for the entirety of the universe what to do about the reapers 
Right. right. He offers you three choices ahead of you, a path to the left and the right, two other paths. You have one path lit in red light with the option known as destroy. By picking this option, all life forms with any Reaper technology, which includes one of your squad mates, Edie, and all of the Geth, because remember Legion uh, uploaded Reaper technology, Reaper code into his entire synthetic race. Mm-hmm. Right? But by picking Destroy, you'll also wipe out all the Reapers. They'll be gone for good. On the left, there is Control. Um, through a lot of the the series, there is that Cerberus organization. Their leader has been like looking for ways to control the Reapers because if you can control such a such a vast power, it'll give you control of the universe as well. So on the left, control you as Shepard will basically sacrifice your physical form, but upload your your personality, your person into the Reapers, thereby giving you, Shepard, control of all the Reapers. So they'll mm-hmm. still be Reapers, but they will act under Shepard's directive, essentially setting you up as benevolent dictatorship kind of situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? But at least you'll stop the Reaper threat because you can tell them to stop. And in the middle is the quote-quote solution to the synthetic versus organic problem. It's synthesis, and it is lit in green. And it essentially will, com- will create an entirely new race out of everyone, where everyone will always be part organic and part synthetic, mm-hmm. thereby bringing peace between the conflict of organics versus synthetics. Right? And as Kevin pointed out, though, there is a fourth option, yep. rejection. <laughs> so... So the way you pick in this ending is you simply walk towards the option you want. Once you're close enough, it'll eventually tri- it'll essentially trigger a story sequence picking that option. Alternatively, you can stare at the star child or try to shoot him or do nothing, and essentially the game will end. It'll game over for you because but it actually has I believe it actually has sequences leading up before purely game over. But rejection itself is an actual possible ending. It just ends in everyone dies, basically. Rejection, was that in the original Mass Effect 3 before the patch? Yes. No. I thought you can still reject it. It just game's over. You Hmm. can't. I don't... Well, I don't remember. I remember that in the first one, I think you could shoot the Star Child and nothing will happen. But then Mm -hmm. after the extended cut DLC... If you shoot the Star Child, that's seen as the rejection. Ah, uh, okay. So okay, it might yeah. have been patched in because a lot of people wanted to choose that anyway. Oh. <laughs> people like I Kevin. totally did that by accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I remember shooting him and nothing happening, so yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so, so what makes the original ending before the extended cut DLC, um, what made it kind of... So, the ending for the... Don't words. It was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Basically, everyone hated it. It was like, what the hell is this? And um, there were a lot of things that people didn't like. Uh, One of them being that 
all three choices that you, that they that you're given essentially give you the same ending. Like, wow, uh, not exactly. Essentially, though, right? No, I no. Why don't you continue first? So okay, so okay, it's debatable, and the extended cut definitely helps it a lot. But when you um when you do the three endings in the original. It was like ninety ninety nine percent of the ending was exactly the same, with like a little bit of like tweaks here and there, like little subtle hints. But basically, it was a color difference. Yeah, but it was basically, a color difference. basically, it was just yeah, a color difference, and um, and a lot of people didn't like the fact that uh, that you do all these things in three different games, you make all these dis- different decisions, you're, um, you know, you're shaping the story your own way with your own character. And then at the very end, you're given three choices, and you're about to to do the final mold to your story to finish it off the way you want it as Shepard. And they're all kind of the same, and people are just kind of like, "Well, you know, yeah. what's the point of the whole series if the ending, you know, is you know not my decision?" Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think they really they really dropped. Okay, so this is all obviously my opinion. Disclaimer. Um, I felt that they really dropped the ball on, you know, entirely what you said. They didn't do a very good job of bringing um, all the races together for like the final showdown. There really wasn't like a final showdown. You know, the whole game, you're building up forces, you're building alliances, you know, you're getting people to join in this fight against the greater evil, the Reapers. But then they're not present in the ending, you know, you don't see. You know the fight that the Krogans are, you know, taking against the Reapers. You don't see the, you don't, you don't get to see the Quarian fleet, you know, fighting against the Reapers um, in the end or anything like that. It's just you talking with this strange apparition, and you have to choose red, blue, or green. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think well, that that really I- made people, you know, not satisfied with the ending. Um, and I felt that they could have shown you know, more in terms of what was happening on Earth um, with everyone in that, you know, final sort of race towards the finish. And, you know, I don't know. There wasn't a big, like, showdown moment where you see, like, all the um, united forces banding together to, you know, take down the Reapers. Wait, I thought you do, though, right? There's that cinematic where, like, your assembled fleet is, like, attacking the Reapers, right? Yeah, yeah so, there so, is, but that's... So there is. Okay, I mean... Like, as part of the ending, ending... No, so the main problem, I think, that most people had was, okay, so you had this, like, you spent three games fighting this threat. You go from, like, no one knows anything about it to, yeah, you warn them about it and no one believes you, to you dealing with the threat by yourself, to oh, snap, or all getting attacked, like Earth is under attack by Reapers, Reapers are attacking everyone else's home planets, all the races in the universe are now banding together to fight this threat, and you go through this climatic, climactic final sequence of you're rushing this point that will get you to the weapon that will theoretically destroy all the Reapers, right? Yeah. You gather everyone, you have all these forces, all these people that you've interacted with, they don't directly show you how they help, um, they created something called a galactic readiness score, right? So like, oh, you made this decision previously. That person now helps you in this way on your galactic readiness score. 
etc. And it's basically like a it's like a point system, right? The your various decisions leads to different uh, narrative uh, methods of how they help or how you are aided in your battle against the Reapers. Um, you have the final sequence. You're fighting on Earth, right? You're rushing this point with all the other ground forces of all the other races. Meanwhile, in space, they're stalling time for you. So there's like some space battle stuff that you don't see. Um, but essentially, it does create, I think, they do a very good job leading up to the ending. What happens in the end is you make your decision, red, blue, green. Um, you see Shepard, you know, follow through with that decision. And what ends up happening is the weapon, the, the crucible, basically fires a beam into the mass relay and whatever you decided on. So if you chose destroy all the reapers, all the reapers basically stop moving because they're destroyed. Mm -hmm. If you choose control, they all like glow and suddenly they all stop attacking because Shepard now has control. And if you choose synthesis, uh, I don't exactly remember what happens in synthesis since I did not pick that one. Um, but I think the Reapers are still there. Yeah, it's a green, it's a green wave of light, and then right. um, everyone, everyone gets see... green glowy eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, all the mass of all the mass relays are they basically explode. They just have a different color when they explode: red, blue, or green. Yeah, and then there's a wave starting out from the from our solar system. Like moving through all the Mass Effect and all the other systems in our Milky Way galaxy, you know, suggesting that whatever is happening in our solar system, where the final battle is happening, is occurring in all the other systems. You know, supposedly, all the mass relays are exploding, and all the Reapers are now destroyed, controlled, or becoming synthesized with everyone else. And then you get this weird sequence where the Normandy magically is running away for some weird reason that's unexplained. They, because they're going through the mass relay essentially to escape, um, which becomes unstable when the mass relays all explode, they end up crash landing in some random planet and three of your squad mates or two of your squad mates walk out of the Normandy roll credits. When I first played it, I was like, okay, I was uh, I was fine with everything. I was even fine with the Star Child, to some degree. Okay, I was even fine with I was even fine with having to pick destroy, control, or synthesis. And then, like, so for me, Mass Effect Three had this great arc. It brought everything back. All the decisions I made, even though they you know they didn't explicitly tell me what happens. Like, I don't meet all the recurring characters. I don't see all the effects, but just reading the galactic readiness and being like, oh, so I helped so-and-so and now they're helping this way. That's really cool. I can totally understand that as like a game design standpoint. So you don't have to like pack, you don't spend years and decades in development, right? Um, but man, after you pick that last choice and you're just like, okay, Mass Relay exploded. Wait, isn't that bad? Why is the Normandy running away? Yeah. They crash landed and then the game ends and it's like, I don't know anything that happened after my battle. Yep. Like, that, that's the problem I had. There was no resolution. And then realizing that it doesn't matter what color you pick because all of them have that exact sequence. Mm -hmm. Some random light, some random color shows up on the mass relay. 
it explodes. Whatever you chose happens to the Reapers. Normandy's running away. Your crew crashes into some random planet, and three people walk out. Credit rolls. Doesn't matter what you picked. All the other decisions you made in the series doesn't matter. So that's why people are really upset, because... They, you know, they spent three series giving you choices, and even if they don't explicitly acknowledge them, right? They at least implicitly do if you do some reading. Um, none of that matters in the last ten minutes. It's literally, do you want red, blue, or green? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you don't know what actually happens after that. So this is me talking without having truly experienced extended cut for myself. I did go back and rewatch the endings. Uh, I basically just watched it after extended cut was released. So, so Ben so has the, more. In, so the, in the extended cut, they, they kind of fill the gaps with, the, you know, there are some discontinuities with the sequence of things you witness in the original ending. Um, so in the extended cut, what happens is, um, you know, Shepard gets hit by Harbinger's beam. Um, and then when you kind of wake back up and you're kind of stumbling to the beam, there's and you go up, there's this whole um, extra scene where someone, you know, is on the radio saying, "Oh my God, someone made it to the beam," you know, and you know, so there's some acknowledgement that Shepard made it, at least by the rest of the alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an addition of where, oh wait, sorry, I I skipped one where when you're racing towards the beam and there's this whole deal where your squad mates get hit. Um, and then Shepard calls the Normandy to come and do a you know a rescue pickup, so that's how you get to see your squad mates get picked up by the Normandy and not suddenly appear on a strange planet when they were supposedly by your side. Right. Um, so you see that, um, and there are some additional um, explanatory uh, dialogue options you can choose with the Star Child, which tries to explain further what each choice does. Um, you know, I think the rejection ending was an addition that was also made in the extended cut, mm-hmm. and they made some changes too. Like when, um, so you know, this is all dependent on your EMS, also your effective uh, milit- uh, readiness rating or whatever, whatever it was called. Um, but if assuming you had a high enough rating, um, when the Normandy is like escaping through the mass relay and the wave of space magic is flying behind it, in the original one, Jeff. Uh, the pilot, Joker, he's seen kind of frantically, you know, trying to control the Normandy, and then, you know, things kind of explode and he crash lands. But then in the extended cut, if you have a high enough score, he's kind of calm throughout the whole thing. And it doesn't really crash land, he just kind of lands on the thing, supposedly. Control Um, landing. Yeah, something like that. So there are some little differences, um, and I think it helps a bit in terms of the flow um but i mean okay so for me pre-ec dlc ending mm-hmm. i thought i was it, i thought the whole thing was actually a dream because um you know you get hit by the beam and you wake up if you look around everything is, seems kind of surreal now and it's yep. reminiscent of the dreams that you've been that shepherd has um, shepherd has these recurring dreams throughout the game um so it kind of feels like the dream and then, you know, there was a whole thing with, wait, how did my squad members suddenly get teleported onto the Normandy and end up on this strange planet? I'm like, oh, my God, this is definitely a dream. And right when I was saying that, the credits rolled. 
<laughs> I, was, I was so confused. I was like, what Me the too. heck is going on? This can't be the ending. Is that that was definitely I don't know. I think something snapped. I like twitched a bit or something. <laughs> it it was it was very bad. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. To, to go back to what I was saying also, like uh Nataku, Kevin, I, I mean I agree, you know, the you see some of the other fleets with you in terms of the you know, push and getting to the earth, guy yeah. getting onto Earth. But, you know, that race to the beam is like you know, the like the big thing. You only have the Alliance soldiers next to you, for one. And, you know, in the second game, you had, you know, your a big, you know, you had your entire squad contribute to this suicide mission, right? But, you know, you only have your two squad mates with you. And all of the other people that you met along the way, they're kind of, they're supposedly somewhere on the battleground somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you never really get to see what they're doing. Um, I don't know. So, on the ground, yes, I agree on, in terms of the fleet in space. There are some other races that you see, but you don't see them on the ground with the yeah. final sort of push and stuff. That's what I meant. Um, mm-hmm. Sounds like a pretty good segue to something, something, right, Inkernot? <laughs> huh? uh, yeah. Um, so there is this um, extremely, uh, what's it called, prevalent theory out there. Um called the indoctrination theory yes <laughs> oh man okay so they so people are like you know what the heck is this ending right it, it, it must um it must be uh there must be something underlying throughout the whole series that we're missing and that explains the whole thing right and so thus is born the indoctrination theory and uh indoctrination uh, is the term for when uh, reapers basically um, like brainwash slash kind of like take over um, the mind and body of uh, of an organic being, and as indoctrination occurs, like kind of their the organic being kind of be kind of becomes like slave to the reapers, and then the reapers are able to uh, almost like enter them right. They're able to channel their energy into into the organic being and kind of use that being to to communicate or to you know do actions as the reapers see fit. And so, the indoctrination theory is that, um, and this is just a quick summary: is that people believe that Shepard, throughout the series, um, gets you know slowly indoctrinated by the reapers. And then by the very ending, by the very end, you know, he's fully indoctrinated and, you know, everything that's kind of going on is, is, uh, kind of like going through his head, but I'm not exactly sure about how it like relates to the ending, but basically Shepard gets indoctrinated and. Well, so the, the indoc theory tries to interpret the ending sequence as an internal struggle in Shepard's mind yeah, to yeah, yeah. indoctrination. Yes. So the choice given to Shepard by the Star Child is, you know, the Reapers attempting to, you know, subdue Shepard's will. Um, but the destroy option can be seen as his resistance, uh, resistance to being indoctrinated by the Reapers, um, thereby, you know, escaping sort of their clutches um, from their mind control powers with through indoctrination. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the uh, synthesis and control options, which is 
can be seen as giving in to the way um, to the will of the Reapers. What um, is the reject campaign? Rejection is well, okay. So within the scope of Indoc theory, everything, uh, ev all of the encounter, uh, the encounter you have with the Star Child is all within Shepard's mind. So oh. rejection can also be can be interpreted as Shepard giving up, oh. uh, and the and the Reapers win. Control is a trick where, you know, it's the false idea that uh, organic life can control the Reapers, but what it essentially is is they indoctrinate you, um, which is akin to what happened to the elusive man. Mm -hmm. His whole goal with Cerberus and Torsi um, throughout the third game is to find a way to control the Reapers and have them be an asset to humanity, mm -hmm. right? But that was sort of, uh, you know, his hubris, and uh, in that ending portion where you go up into the citadel you uh, confront the elusive man and he you know has some powers to control your actions right because they he the separate service was doing research on indoctrination and whatnot but he himself has succumbed to indoctrination and um, you can paragon a renegade um, choice to you know, get him to realize it and he'll shoot himself right very very similar to what happened with Saren but for mm -hmm. Saren his whole thing was, you know, um, organic and synthetic life intertwined to become something greater. Right. Yes. So it's it's the idea of synthesis. It's to merge yeah. the two together to form something that is even better than the parts on their own. Um, and that can, uh, you know, from the results of the first game, you see that that was also folly because Saren, you know, you can Paragon Renegade and convince him that, you know, he is in fact indoctrinated and he comes to his he comes to his senses and you know says i'm sorry shepherd i tried and you know he also shoots himself in the head um so within the scope of indoc theory that whole engagement with star child control and synthesis options are um falling for the trick rejection is giving up and destroy is shepherd overcoming the uh powers of the reapers and then if your score is high enough you know that's why you get that extra little ending where you see Shepard amidst rubble. Mm. And it's termed as the breath scene where Shepard goes <gasps> and takes a breath. <laughs> um, so people who subs who subscribe to the uh, Indoc theory said, you know, that's Shepard waking up after he was he or she was hit by Harbinger's beam on the run towards the um, towards the, the beam of light that takes you up to the citadel. Right. So, so what makes uh, the indoctrination theory like really compelling is kind of kind of the fact that uh, not only does the ending kind of uh, work itself out with um, with the indoctrination with the indoctrination theory, but also the events leading up to the ending also kind of if you think about it in the indoctrination mindset perspective, it like it like makes a lot of sense to be honest. And um, so Shepard, uh, I can't remember exactly, but Shepard gets attacked by a Reaper. And um, throughout the whole series, he has a lot of really close contact with Reapers. Mm -hmm. um, it, I forget, I forget. There was one instance where he was like, like severely um, injured by a Reaper. I, I can't remember, but basically people believe that that moment was when Shepard's like true indoctrination began you know I that think, mm -hmm. I think what sorry I think what you're referring to is actually the arrival DLC 
um, and in that in that one you um, end up at this base where they have Reaper uh, tech, Reaper artifacts on that base. Shepard actually gets subdued, and you spend yeah yeah I yeah, think, yeah. You know, I forget how long three days I, I don't remember but you're like asleep in a cell um you know right. in this building where there is a reaper artifact and everyone else on the base is indoctrinated and controlled by reapers um so people see that as um you know how could shepherd you know shepherd can be strong you know he shepherd might may have a very strong will but i mean shepherd is should not be immune to indoctrination right just well i missed that so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this this goes into my whole rant about them being very bad with the DLC so the things, DLCs, right? Because yeah. Arrival, DLC, From Ashes, that Leviathan... That's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, no, Arrival DLC is what ties the two, two, two games together, actually. Do you like, for example, do you know why Shepard was sort of under house arrest at the beginning of the third game? I do not. Please explain no. it to us. Mr. Yeah, see, that was the Arrival DLC. So there, the whole thing was... um. A group of researchers finds out that, um, or they believe they have found that um, this one particular relay is going to be the first point where the Reapers come in and, you know, unleash hell on the galaxy. So the idea is to um, steer an asteroid towards this mass relay, thereby stalling the Reapers' invasion. Mm. Um, but the, uh, the, the entire research team gets indoctrinated from contact with this Reaper artifact that they found. Good times. Um, yeah, but then, you know, Shepard is going in to investigate, you know, sabotage or overcomes uh, incarceration and ends up steering the asteroid and destroying the mass relay. But that effectively wipes out that entire system. Um, and it dooms a lot of the Batarians, actually. And Shepard's actions in um, destroying the mass relay is, um, you know, in question, and that's why Shepard is brought to sort of, um, not put on trial, but you know, to sort of be under question, and you know, the he's under uh, probation, right? Yeah, they're really? evaluating whether the actions taken by Shepard was the correct action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, due to that, <laughs> um, so throughout the third game, um, like. Shepard sees, you know, this child who ends up being the star child and kind of no one else in the game. It's no, it's hinted. It seems like no one else in in the game, like no other character or anyone uh, notices this child or like, does he even exist? Right. Like Shepard clearly sees him, but no one else like interacts with the kid. Kind of like uh, the Sixth Sense movie, you know, like yeah. it's just kind of mm-hmm. like the kid's there. But yeah. he doesn't touch any, or he, you know, he touches things, but things just kind of revolve. I don't know, you know, he's he's like a ghost or something. Yeah. No one's like helping him onto a ship, and no one notices that Shepard's like talking to some kid, and they're like, you know, what's going on, right? And so there's a lot of scenes where you know Shepard's like looking for this kid, talking to this kid, um, and like Anderson's kind of like, hey, come on, like let's go. He's not like you know who are you talking to or anything. He's just like, oh, like you're crazy or something. And so they they kind of go through that. And then throughout the game, Shepard also has these dreams. That That's how it's initially interpreted as mm-hmm. dreams is. And it's like this, it's this like shadowy kind of fuzzy uh, scenery. And you're like walking through and you see all these like, you know, shadow figures. And the star child is like, 
you know, out there. He's kind of like running away and you're chasing him and stuff. And um, all like the documentation about what it's like to be indoctrinated uh, is very similar to Shepard's said dream. And it all just flows into the end of the game where, you know, Shepard, you know, like gets hit by this final beam. And then people are like, oh, you know, what happened? And then, you know, everything from there is really fuzzy. And that's where people kind of think, oh, you know, Shepard's just full on indoctrinated right right there. And it's just this mental struggle from then on. And uh, I think people also have believed that Shepard died right there. But I think that's like a more um, far-fetched theory. I don't know. Well, you can interpret the... Because you need enough high enough of the galactic readiness or... It's called EC? Something like that. Score. I so like, yeah, I think it was EMS or something like that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a score that basically represents that you made the proper choices, or you collected enough of the galaxy's resources to fight the Reapers that you'll have a good outcome. Mm-hmm. If you don't collect enough, you'll get a poor outcome. Um, if you collect a high enough number, you get the breath scene at the end of the whole game after the credits, right? So that's the idea that if you did enough, if you took sufficient action against the Reapers, then Shepard will have the wherewithal to be able to fight back against indoctrination. Right? Mm-hmm. And you, have to, you also had to choose destroy, right? You don't get the breath scene if you choose synthesis or control. Right? So right. you have to commit to that decision of, no, I need to destroy the Reapers. And you have to have spent enough time and resources preparing to get the breath scene, as in Shepard's coming out of indoctrination. Mm, yeah, so yeah. Continue the fight, Shepard. Right. Oh, right, right, right. And so, uh, just to clarify, it's EMS for... EMS, thank you. Effective military strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so... so did, did you guys... Do you guys... I mean, what are, what are you guys' stances on that? Dude, that was my next question. Oh, we're like oh, mind readers. Oh, sorry, I was so curious. <laughs> I I, I blurted it out. I'm no, that you don't be sorry. That's like that's like the the dream of for me as a host is that the the conversation is so fluid. We all are thinking the same thing. Oh my god, are we are we sharing thoughts now? Are we, <laughs> are we the ones that are indoctrinated? <laughs> Assuming direct control. <laughs> Get out of here, you! Get out of my head. Releasing control. Um, yes. What did you guys think? Yeah, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, I've learned to appreciate the ending for what it is. Yeah. Um, the three endings are still, you know, pretty similar. And, you know, you're, you're still kind of like, well, you know, it's not like three galactic changing uh, endings, right? It's... It's three endings that all lead towards, you know, kind of the same destruction of the Mass Relays um, idea. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know. I I gotta give, like, Bioware some credit for, um, for the thought of it. I think it, it was kind of their, you know, artistic ending of saying, like, you know, we didn't want the, the obvious happy ending, but we did kind of want the, the like you know, the the universe is bigger than Shepard. And, um, and you know, there's some things, you know, Shepard ha- is able to change so many things and control uh, so many outcomes. But, you know, at the end of the day, right, it's like, 
you know, let's think of this universe as something bigger than uh, than just Shepard, right? And so, uh, to me, that's kind of how I view it. I I really like the indoctrination theory, but I don't believe it. I'm not a believer. Mm-hmm. I believe that uh, it's all reality, and that um, yeah, that what happens happens. And you know, I. I appreciate the ending for its artistic value, even if I wanted the happy ending. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, what'd you guys think? Um, I mean, so I missed the DLCs, and I feel like <laughs> they're probably pretty core <laughs> to Doctoration mm-hmm. 3. So yeah. I have to play those <laughs> first. Nataka, <laughs> uh, I think you said that um, you've you've only played the post-EC ending, right? Yeah. yeah. And and when you played through that ending, did you were you satisfied? Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, like, it wasn't terrible, like you guys described. <laughs> um, I thought it was, yeah, decent. No, I, I actually agree with you, because on my second playthrough, I, you know, I played it a little ways after um, oh. my first playthrough, and on my second one, I, you know, only experienced the post-DC ending, and I thought, you know, it actually worked out, you know, pretty decently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I can I can understand that. Mm-hmm. About you, Mr. Temp? Uh, so, having played it without EC, and having been very appalled by <laughs> the sham that they dare call an ending... I actually did place a lot of hope that Bioware had done something that no no company has done before, which is to release a game implying one ending, but secretly holding back the true ending until people actually had time to properly respond to it. To, to like, 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 think about this way. You spend three series playing... And during the entire third game, they keep dropping hints about indoctrination, which there are plenty of videos on YouTube and plenty of write-ups by the community or the fan base of Mass Effect detailing things that could contribute to the indoc theory. Yep. Right? Like these, there's, if you play at certain uh, frequencies, you can hear sounds that are only present when the Reapers are there, and then that actually plays during your nightmare sequences and all the sequences where the little kid is there. Stuff like that, like really neat details that could be coincidence, could be actual intentional design, but then they didn't have time to actually flesh out an in-dock ending, so they never went for it. Whatever the reason, I, I actually really like, man, if Bioware does this, like, you know, everyone's up in arms, and they release this quote-unquote extended cut, and it turns out to be the indoctrination theory, like, that would be super novel, super cool, and I think Mass Effect would easily been a ten out of ten plus game. So, like you're you're saying that um, in Mass Effect's initial release, it, it was almost pur- purposefully done to feel like a ambiguous ending, so that they could later give you the full twist. Well, I just think that would have been a really really cool way to do it. Mm. Okay, um, neat. Not 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 very practical because you know you're essentially setting up a post-release patch right. quote, to get to the true ending, and it only worked for the immediate release. But I think the impact that they could have had doing that would have been immense. 
Now, that obviously didn't happen. So they're standing by the ending as the ending. Um, having seen the extended cut and Leviathan and generally knowing about Arrival and having talked to Ben about this many <laughs> times, I think if I was to replace Mass, was to replay Mass Effect, I would be very content with the ending. I wouldn't be happy about it just simply because I think my Mass Effect trilogy, so you know, not talking beyond Mass Effect 1 to 3, my Mass Effect trilogy will be forever marred by the pre-EC ending, and I'm never going to get over that. But I, I can agree with Ben that with the DLCs and with Extended Cut, it's a it's a fine game. It's a good game. It's a it's better than good. It's a great game, um, and I can be okay with the ending. I don't expect Shepard to live. You know, I played the whole thing expecting Shepard to die. Mm. I, at least I expected my Shepard to die. I, I think the breath scene is kind of kind of stale. I didn't really like it without the Indoc theory because yeah. I don't need a happy ending. Like this is Shepard's tale, and I expect my Fem Shep to die a hero. Hmm. she lives okay that's fine I guess but it's you know it, it feels like it's just a thing they threw on to make you feel like maybe there's a happy ending which I definitely didn't need so are you, um, is it that you so you don't believe in the in Doctory I don't believe in it now because the extended cut gives you the resolution about how the rest of the universe basically rebuilds. Mm-hmm. That I think in Doc Theory, while being an amazing idea and maybe even plausible at one point in time during development, uh, I don't think that's the canon ending that anyone will ever run with moving forward from here. Sure. Yeah. So. And um, to, I guess, to like. Um add on to what to your opinion and like i i I like what you were saying but uh, not even but like and um the so like kind of how so i agree that the ending was good and you know it i'm glad that they had the ec they made the ending make sense and you know it you know it, it at least flowed right there's something that you can say okay you know this was the ending at least it makes sense, and you know I accept it as it is. Um, I what I wanted was kind of um, like what you were saying. Like I, I'm totally okay with uh, my shepherd dying, you know, being being the hero of the universe. And I feel like um, what would have been like kind of like the grand ending would have been like the the idea of like if you wanted a super happy ending, right? Then maybe one of the choices you're given. Um, will be that, you know, super happy ending of Shepard, you know, saving the universe, being a war hero, um, getting a trophy or, or a medal or whatever, and being like, yay, you know, everything's happy. Or, you know, doing this other choice that is a completely, you know, 180, you know, Shepard dies through the universe, and it's like this, um, it's like this really, you know, heart-wrenching, but really emotional and great ending of, you know, Shepard sacrificing him or herself for the universe but it's an equally as good and equally as understanding ending. I kind of wanted that sort of like crazy disconnect of the three and saying, you know, I, I in a way can choose the ending for 
you know, Mass Effect. But that's kind of asking for a lot, and I don't know. Also, like, how would you do that in games without, like, giving you the explicit choice, right? Like, if if, if they ever say, okay, here's Destroy. If you go through this tunnel, you'll live. If you go through this one, you'll die. Playing Shepard, like, actually, like, playing the character, would there ever be a time where you'd be like, uh, okay, I'll choose death? Right? True, true. But like I mean, you went, you went on a suicide mission in freaking Mass Effect Two, and you came out of that <laughs> alive, right? You'll yeah. fight. Your Shepard will struggle tooth and nail to get out of everything alive and save everyone. So, I mean, I think that's a limitation of just game design, right? Just mm-hmm. even like looking back on the rest of the Mass Effect Three, like you can't prevent Legion from dying. True, true. Right? You you can't prevent Morden from dying. Strangely enough. But oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, he, like, he does so begrudgingly, and you do it at the cost of not curing the entire genophage and Worth. other stuff, right? So, like, you, there is some option there, but like the, the concept of a video game in terms of storytelling, even one as branching as Mass Effect, is that at the end of the day, there's still a base storyline, and they can only branch so far, right? I feel like it is very hard to do the hey do you want to kill yourself or is have shepherd be alive for a happy ending unless there's actually like a huge cost of staying alive i mean i feel like um like okay i mean from a game game design uh perspective i do agree like it it's a lot of you know Mm -hmm. um disconnect to be able to get those two endings but, I mean, if you think about it in, like, the... Say, and this is, like, a really, like, simplified example. But say, like, you know, going full Renegade is, like, one choice, right? Or going full Paragon's the other. And it's, like... I don't, I don't know. It, it was just a thought. But, I'm, like well, I said, I'm not... If it makes you happier, <laughs> the Mass Effect community is very, very active. Or had been very, very active. That there are plenty of actual mods... Um, there, someone did create like a, a happy ending mod where <laughs> Shepard lives and etc. Like that's an actual thing. <laughs> and so the cool thing about Mass Effect, I think, is that everyone has their head canon, right? This is your Shepard, yeah. And your Shepard story can differ from everyone else's Shepard in all the little choices you make, right? Yeah. And your head canon can even include a happy ending. If you decide to go with like the happy ending mod, or if you play the DLCs, if you play the Citadel last, as if it's post Reaper, right? That's an actual when when the Citadel came out. That's a, that was an actual recommendation people had was you can play the Citadel as like your epilogue. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's many ways to go about creating a headcanon. and this whole discussion on Mass Effect made me go back and reread this awesome comic called Marauder Shields, which is based off the idea of the indoctrination theory, oh. where Shepard has collapsed after getting hit by Harbinger's beam of destruction. The battle for Earth and the battle to get onto the Crucible to destroy all the Reapers continues on, and there's awesome scenes of all of the different races banding together to destroy the Reapers and fight for the greater good, and all the characters come back and have their moment of oh, we need to go destroy this part so we can secure this area. Meanwhile, Shepard lies in... It's like this whole story without Shepard. And then the idea being 
Remember that uh, good old Turian that you met way back in Mass Effect 1 who uh, who got backstabbed by Saren and he was like the guy who was supposed to be testing you or scoring you and judging you for your oh, yeah. Spectre qualifications? Yeah, yeah on the Citadel? Or... No, way back. Oh, yeah. He was on your ship. Mm-hmm. Mass Effect yeah. 1. Thought, you... What was his name? It starts with the N. N- Nihilus? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's yeah, scrub. Is it was it Nihilus or is Nihilus someone else? Yeah, Nihilus. So like he was like, and he he was a specter. He was there to judge you to make sure you are worthy of becoming the first human specter, right? And he just seemed like an all around cool guy. Mm-hmm. And then he meets he runs into Saren before you do, and Saren basically kills him. Right. Um. But the cool Marauder Shields comic basically plays on the idea that. When Shepard is rushing for the beam to go to the Citadel and activate this giant super weapon to destroy all the Reapers, he gets hit by Harbinger's beam of destruction. When he wakes up, he's severely injured. Time slows down as you're attacked by a few husks, right? Mm-hmm. You yep. had to shoot them in slow motion. It's very, uh, it's a very cinematic scene, and then at the the very last thing you have to shoot to get before you can enter the beam is one marauder who has a shield. In fact, the way that his name is printed looks like his name is Marauder Shields. <laughs> and this comic kind of play there's this joke on uh how Marauder Shields is a hero we need. He's trying to save us from the terrible ending. He's the last bastion, last enemy trying to keep you from entering. In fact you could argue he's the Coco last boss. Right? Mm-hmm. And he'll say, no, don't go here. You'll only face disappointment and sadness about how it ends. And then the, some people took the joke a little further. And then this guy, his name is Kubismo, K-O-O-B-I-S-M-O, mm-hmm. made Marauder Shields, the comic, where Marauder Shields, this last guy who is stopping you from entering the beam, is actually the... Nihilus. Not indoctrinated. He's Nihilus. Right, like just like how humans turn into husks when they're oh. when they're yeah, converted yeah. by Reaper Tech, uh, Turians turn to Marauders when they're converted by Reaper Tech, and so somehow Nihilus is this last Marauder shields trying to stop you from from falling prey to indoctrination, and he's basically protecting you from indoctrination. So it's it's this really cool comic. It's really hmm. well made. It's still in progress. Uh-huh. Um, I highly recommend reading it, but it definitely plays on like to me. This is almost headcanon, depending on how he ends it. I like his comics so much. I don't think it will really affect like going forward into the new new Mass Effect series. I don't think it'll matter that much. But to me, this is headcanon. I really want indoctrination theory to be headcanon, and so I am making it headcanon. Unfortunately, though, I think um, he hasn't updated it in a long time. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it was that it kind of stopped at episode sixty-two, and that was back in like January or something like that. Yeah, I only remember watching the. Have you guys seen the YouTube video with Marauder Shield? Yeah. Uh, I've seen some funny, <laughs> funny like random videos. It's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> they play like know. the the music at the end. Yeah, you know, like the dramatic music. <laughs> when you shoot him, it's like. <laughs> uh, <great. laughs> Um, so for the viewers, 
Um, I'll have a link up for Marauder Shields if you guys want to check it out. It'll be on the on the blog. Um, but Mr. Blank, we didn't get to hear your interpretation of the ending. Yes, I have a whole rant slash spiel stat slash my own interpretation. Let's we go. Can. We're going all, right. all yeah. night now. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> guys. Yeah. I, have, I have to get this off my chest. Rekindle the fireplace, folks. We're <laughs> going in. All right, get comfortable. So I, I thought that, you know, throughout the whole Mass Effect 3, the game, um, I thought that the Bioware was sort of leading you to this idea of, you know, oh, you can find peace between organic and synthetic life. And especially given the layout of that final chamber with mm-hmm. the synthesis option, the green option, it was a much bigger path straight down the middle <laughs> right, than the others. Yep. I thought initially that, you know, the devs were kind of hinting that this was what they thought was the quote-unquote right option. And um, I actually chose that at first because I didn't like it, but I thought that's what they wanted you to do, especially because the other were blue and red. And those were the colors of Paragon and Renegade. Yep. So I thought they were going with this whole idea of, you know, things are not black and white. You know, things are not just blue and red. There is also green. You know, I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> stupid, but okay, I'll just go along with it just to see what you had in mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole thing happened and none of it made sense. And then, so after having played through the DLCs and having, you know, even read through the, all the induct, induct theory stuff and whatever, um, my, my canon playthrough was doing the destroy option. Um, yeah. And what I essentially yep. came to my conclusion is um, it's not entirely in doc theory and it's in not entirely just a straight literal interpretation, I think, because in the end, um, the star child, the intelligence and the reapers, they can't be trusted. And I think that's the most important thing to remember hmm. um, because, you know, they were created to solve this problem, right? Their mandate was to, um, you know, not let this whole thing happen where the organic life creates synthetic life and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they supposedly came up with a solution, but then they kind of turn it around on you and say, oh, now we need a different solution just because you, Shepard, have made it so far. Like, I, I think that doesn't really make much sense. So how do you make sense of it? And I think one way to make sense of it is that it's not entirely in doc theory, but it is um, the Reapers trying to trick you. Mm-hmm in a sense, because um, they, I, I don't know. Okay, I, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but essentially they're part of the problem themselves, right? Because they themselves are synthetic life, right? Yep. So yep. they are sort of, I don't know, it, it's not, it doesn't really make sense in terms of what they say that they're trying to do. And especially given the fact that the way they present the destroy option is not, is, is they sort of painted as like a bad option because they're like oh but you know even you are partly synthetic you know oh your mm-hmm. friends will die you know yeah. but then it paints the synthetic one so um, synthesis option as like oh this is peace you yes. know this is the good option it's kind of uh, it's so i the way that i interpret it now is um it may not be entirely in doc theory but i think it is the reapers the intelligence kind of playing tricks on you because um, the intelligence admits that they thought that the designs for the crucible were long gone, and I think it's entirely plausible to assume that you know indoctrinated members sort of sabotage some of the designs and the plans, which mm-hmm. will help explain why there is even other options besides destroy. 
Um, so mm-hmm. not expecting anyone to make it that far. You know, Shepard is there. So what is the only thing they can do to prevent Shepard from choosing the destroy option, which was the original intended plan for the Crucible, is to try to stray Shepard away from that option. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's really one way to... Or that's that's my way of looking at it. Um, and I really don't care whether there's a breath scene in the end or not. I think it's really irrelevant. Right, I think yeah. it's more or less just sort of a little, you know, um, in, an Easter egg or like a little bone that they threw for the people. Um, but yeah, essentially, I think the important thing to remember is you can't trust the Reapers. You can't trust the intelligence. They're not really following through with what they initially had, what they initially were created for. I mean, they even turned on their creators. Right, mm-hmm, right, they, and then they cited that their creators were part of the problem, but the Reapers themselves are part of the problem too. I think because they are the ones that are instigating the whole conflict between synthetic and organic life. Like the whole fact that you've you Shepard was was able to find the resolution between um, the Quarians and the Geth proves that you know their black and white picture is not correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> hmm. yeah, I agree. That's my interpretation. <laughs> I agree. Say like, hey, Shepard. Check these two options out. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 definitely agree. I like thinking about it that way, you know? It's like, oh, you know, the Crucible does still exist, you know? But, you know, the designs were slightly modified over time. And, yeah. That, that's the only way I can make sense of there being multiple options. I, like I mean, it. even in the Indoc theory, it's like, you know, then, I don't know. I, I, I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> destroy is the right. Uh, destroy is the only right option, or I guess rejection. No, well, rejection is giving up though, because that's the only one where you actually see what is it, um, Liara's time capsule thing, right? Which oh, that's right. That's right. All that's of the what... information that they gathered about the Reapers to try to warn the next cycle. Uh, in it. I forgot uh, that was the actual ending sequence yeah. there. I mean, in that sense, it is kind of neat because that little end um, post-credits scene you get mm-hmm. with you know, this man talking to his to this child, saying like, "Oh, the actions of the previous cycle with their warning in the time capsule thing helped us defeat the Reapers." Mm. That was yeah. that was the objection. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Destroy is the right option. Destroy all yeah. the way. Uh, yep, I'm I'm all about that destroy as well. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody chose poorly. <laughs> I was happy with my synthesis ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I I I I can I mean debate about this right now if you really want. Yeah, let's do it. Bring it on, blank. You know, if synthesis is the correct option, then that should have been their original solution to begin with. Right. If they have the means to do, if if they have the means to synthesize, do that, synthesize why, didn't the do why didn't they do that from the beginning? Why was their solution to harvest? Right. I think another way to interpret it is that the intelligence, um, sort of that's the that's a way for it to survive and for it to propagate itself. Right. Is to harvest these civilizations and grow bigger as its own entity, as its own race, as its own being of intelligence. Um, so synthesis is I don't know I, I think it's it, to me it doesn't make sense because if that were to be true that should have been the original solution but it wasn't well I mean because the intelligence it's 
they're not like the good guys, right? Necessarily, they're sort of like this other, like neutral party, sort of. Yes. So, like, synthesis might not be their best ending or something, right? That's true, but if that is the case, then why would there be the option? Why? And why are there three options, anyways? Right? Yeah, which is which, which is why I have that whole yeah. interpretation yeah. of. That's the only way I can come to terms with it. That because the designs were modified over time, and you know, indoctrination indoctrinated agents could have, you know, made some changes to try to divert the original intention of the crucible, um, such that it gives you know different possibilities and confuses the eventual user. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's a hacky way to try to think about it, and I think you know, given that Bioware doesn't explicitly, explicitly tell, us, tell us that, oh, this is the canon ending or whatever, I think mm-hmm. it's really open to whatever you want your interpretation to be. Um, yeah. so, you know, if you're happy with the synthesis ending, then that's great. Um, if you're happy with the destroy ending, that's great. But oh boy, if you're happy with that control ending, you are so wrong. I'm so happy <laughs> with the control ending. <laughs> I just yeah. I, I just thought it was really cool how so I can't even no <laughs> can't even <laughs> um yeah so um so basically the uh, the ending of Mass Effect three and I guess in in some ways it's cool that the that all three endings are similar because we know for sure that the mass relays are destroyed and, no they're not. <laughs> They're not? <laughs> they're not destroyed in the way that Arrival sets it up. Because if they're truly destroyed, the entire system basically goes kaput. Right. So no, they're so not you, actually you, destroyed. Yeah, it depends on your EMS also. So if it's high enough, um, the relays are damaged, but they can be yeah. rebuilt. Even oh, the, uh, that's right, that's right, that's right. The uh, extended cut dialogue options that you can have with the Star Child, the Star Child even says, you know, like, oh, that they will be damaged, but they could be rebuilt. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, sorry. That's right. Oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, so they're they're damaged or whatever, they're broken yeah. now. Um and I guess I guess in all three endings, um, the Reapers are no longer a threat one way or another, right? They're either controlled out, you know, destroyed or mixed in with the organics. Yeah. Um, let's just subscribe to my interpretation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, which <laughs> okay, yeah. In which destroy is the only option. Right. Yeah, destroy. Oh, uh, well, okay. It, in any case, though, one way or the other, right? Reapers aren't a threat, and mm. the mass relays are um, damaged, and the the universe as we know it is kind of split up and um, and ready to rebuild in its own way. Yeah. And so, with that universe in mind, saying that you know this universe is the only possibility with all three choices. Uh, it brings an interesting point of, you know, if Mass Effect 4 were to be released in, you know, say, quarter four of 2016, you know, what what would it be like, right? And <laughs> it, it's kind of cool because it's like, okay, we know how this universe has ended, and if we continue it, say... So Mass Effect 4, uh, or Mass Effect Andromeda is supposed to be a right a completely different timeline and a complete not timeline a completely different time era and a completely different universe 
but it's cool to know that you know maybe the results of the original trilogy will affect the next trilogy um, in some you know really cool universal way. But and we know that the universe had to end in one in one certain way for um, for Mass Effect to continue. So I don't know. I'm pretty excited for the next release of Mass Effect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 think, I think they're trying to, they're doing their best to try to um, not uh, mingle with whatever interpretation people have with the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that's why they set it so far apart in terms of both space and time. Um, so it's set in a completely different galaxy. Yep. Uh, and therefore it's you know far removed in terms of space. And I believe it is set a little further into the future. So, you know, presumably humans that were around at that time would all be dead, right? Um, if anyone, long-lived species such as the Astari or the Krogans may still be alive. Um, but those would be the, really be the only remote uh, possibilities of connections, I think. And if anything, I'm guessing they would like throw in some Easter eggs, like some mentions of the shepherd or something like that. Um, but otherwise, I think it's supposed to be a completely different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the uh, the nostalgia fanboy in me just wants like some like super distant connection. Yeah, that I, I mean, they have to add it in there, right? Yeah. They they have to try to you know reel in that initial fan uh, initial fan base. And stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I guess so far, what we what we're given for Andromeda, and like we really don't know anything so far. But um, from there's a cinematic from E3, and I'll I'll post it in the blog. Uh, and basically, all I remember is that there was a lot of uh, desert and cowboy <laughs> kind of space themed mm-hmm. nonsense going on. Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like if you see Mass Effect one through three as like the massive space opera, it seems like if they're going space cowboys. It's just like another spin of pretty typical sci-fi fare they're going to tackle now. Yes. Right? And they handled Mass Effect 1 through 3 pretty well, I'd say. So, I, I saw some people had quite a bit of backlash against, oh, I don't want to play another Space Western. But I actually have a good amount of faith in Bioware that even if it's a Space Western, it'll be pretty good. So, mm-hmm. even, yeah. even though they broke your heart temp, uh, fool me once. <laughs> I'm giving them a chance to fool me twice. <laughs> Even though they broke my heart, I, I, I think they'll go back. I think they'll learn from their mistakes, and you know, I think um, there was that. You know, you can read about it online and stuff, but I think a big thing with that whole ending was you know time issues. I think they didn't plan the, uh, or like they were being pushed for a release when they were yeah. not ready. So I think they sort of had to make do with what they currently had and you know, just come up with some ending. Which is so sad. It, it's like it the really saddest is. thing about. Um, especially because the game spanned so long. You know, I think it spanned five or six years or something like that. Um, yeah. People were very committed to their, or very invested in their character, in their story. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know of any other game that, you know, tries to carry along the same character across you know, multiple games like that. Yeah. So it was very different, very new, and that 
that's I mean there was even a whole thing with people trying to do a class action lawsuit against Bioware you know, <laughs> things like that it was it was nuts um, mm-hmm. I, I personally have am hoping for the best I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Andromeda um, yeah. I like the fact that they're kind of distancing themselves from the initial trilogy and just trying to start fresh but in the same universe right in the same universe that everyone grew to love with you know the species of Asari and Krogans and Korians or whatever with this idea of mass relays and the mass effect um, I think it'll I don't know I'm optimistic yeah yeah, yeah I'm gonna um, I don't know about you guys I'm <laughs> I'm I'm like a what's it called I have sometimes like a very rash personality and I'm I'm just going straight for it when when Andromeda comes out I'm like yeah and Granada's uh, all in <laughs> yeah so like I don't know I, as much as I'm I'm definitely planning to play Andromeda I I think I'll still like wait a bit I'll, I, I'll do my best to shield myself from the impressions other here. people have but <laughs> that's, not gonna, that's not gonna go well what about you Kevin? Uh, yeah, I'll definitely play. Okay, so I want you know, yeah, I want those references. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh. It, it, so Inkernot, Nataku, and I will let you know them. <laughs> okay. No spoilers. Okay. Oh, yeah. there will be such spoilers. No. Shepherd's alive. <laughs> no. Miranda Lawson's back. Oh, oh wait. Well. <laughs> I want to, I want to see <laughs> a monument. You know, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, there there are some some ideas for what the you know overall idea of the story is going to be, right? There's that That'd idea, be, of the arc. It'd be funny though if they made you load up your save file and it was just for like a statue, <laughs> <laughs> just for the model of your character. Yeah, yeah, that'd actually be pretty fun. I'd be in, except you know, different universe. Who knows? I think it would it would be really cool if somehow there were some you know strong story ties, but yeah, I don't know how it'll work. Well, I think it'll... so. One thing that's been holding me back from going back and replaying the entire Mass Effect series is I kind of want to let's say like I don't want to play Mass Effect One again. I want to play Mass Effect Two, but I want to make different decisions in Mass Effect One. I think they did release a way to like. So I'm bringing this up mainly because in Dragon's Age, Dragon Age, which is another game made by Bioware, yeah, they have a system called the Tapestry. Dragon Dragon Age Keep has this thing called Tapestry, where you basically go and make almost every decision point again, but just like you know, you read a quick thing. Oh, in this location, did you do this or this, and stuff like that, and it's very well designed that. Essentially, let's just skip Mass uh, Dragon Age One and Two, and load a completely character, uh, completely personal character into straight into Dragon Age Three, aka Inquisition. And I feel like, as far as I know, Mass Effect doesn't have that. So I don't think there's like an official thing, but there are like custom like save game editors, mm-hmm. so you can actually. 
load up an old save and change choices. Okay, that. that might I be think. cool. I don't, I don't actually know how well it'll work, but I yeah, know there I, are save I've actually done it for my second playthrough. Um, yeah. From, yeah, Mass Effect 1 and 2. Um, I'm, yeah, it, it's called Gibbs Save Editor, so G-I-B-B-E-D, Gibbs Save Editor. And uh, I, I use a site called MassEffectSaves.com. And I downloaded it there, and basically there's yeah just a list of like decisions and stuff you can make, and you just kind of like check them off. Okay, that's so. super cool because I think moving forward that would be a cool thing to have for our as like a general I, a tool for players because you can skip a lot of the stuff that you don't care about, and yeah. it helps you basically create your custom save files without having to do the game again if you didn't enjoy it as much or let's say I just really want to get to the cool parts of Mass Effect 2 or 3 or I just want to see how things will play out differently in 3 it'd be nice to be able to fiddle around with a save file really quick and not oh better load it up from the front again right right uh, I'm not sure if the save editor is um, for 2 to 3 like I'm not sure if they have that but I'm, I'm sure it's out there I mean you know I'll look around. Yeah. I know this one for sure does one to two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, we will we'll definitely have an episode long time from now on uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. So yeah. TMP, you can uh, you can listen in to, to uh, know think of that game. <laughs> maybe I'll change my mind and just buy it with the rest of you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we got we got to play that multiplayer together. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Mass Effect 3 has a pretty sweet multiplayer, but, uh, I guess we'll have to get into that for another day. It it really could be its own episode on, yeah. on what we think <laughs> of it. <laughs> it could be. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. More gameplay stuff, which we didn't really touch on. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, gameplay yeah. is its own thing, too. It is. Um, but yeah, for tonight... Thank you so much, TMP, Nataku, and Blank, for joining me. No yeah. Thank you. Uh, this is episode 16 of NPC Talk. My name is Inkernot, here with my friends. And for tonight, guys, we are out. Have a good night. Bye. Later.